Do you want to find solutions on how to make decisions faster, how to solve problems with your teams, or define a clear strategy that resonates with your staff and customers? There is a workshop for that. Hello there, I'm Nati Ravez, founder of La Workshopeuse. I'm a collaboration consultant and workshop facilitator, member of an amazing workshopper community. In this podcast, I meet them to get the best advice on facilitation and I'll let leaders and managers speak to understand the challenges they are facing. Welcome to the show. Welcome to our podcast today on blockchain, design thinking, facilitation and flamenco because who says you can't bring a little flair to the world of technology and business? You might have heard about blockchain, but did you know it's being used in the world of pharmaceutical supply? Our guest today, Alexandru Popa, Associate Director of Blockchain for Pharma Supply Chain at MSD, will be joining us to discuss how blockchain technology is being used in the industry and how it's revolutionizing the way we gather and record data. We'll also be exploring the importance of design thinking when it comes to implementing new technologies and why hiring facilitators is essential for guiding the process of innovation. But what does flamenco have to do with all this? Stay tuned and listen to find out. Let's explore together the exciting world of blockchain, design thinking and facilitation and discover how they can all come together to create innovative solutions. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. Welcome, Alexandru Popa. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. Good today. Excited about um, the holidays. It's the holiday season. Um, so uh, pretty busy times, but this should be last week, maybe one week more. When uh, when things are, are intense, then um, hopefully we're going to get on a bit of a break. I just want to say thank you that you accepted my invitation because so far I have had the pleasure to interview a lot of facilitators. And uh, in 2023, I would like to welcome directors and managers to understand what are the challenges and uh, why they call upon facilitators to guide the teams through a process to make decisions and solve problems. So this is why you are the first one, and I'm very happy about that. You are Associate Director in Blockchain for Pharma Supply Chain at a big known industry. I will tell the name, MSD. <laughs> and um, we got in touch through Lucas Liebisch, who is working as an in-house facilitator as MSD. I am one of those people who don't know that much about blockchain. I would really like to understand briefly what is the link between MSD or the pharma industry and blockchain technology. Right. So ultimately for, uh, for uh, your audience that doesn't know what, what blockchain is, most of the people heard about it uh, throughout the cryptocurrencies hype. Well, blockchain is the ultimately the underlying technology where the cryptocurrencies are are based on or how cryptocurrencies are are working. On the simple highest level, blockchain it's a digital distributed secure 
ledger. That's it. Especially the way we use it in the corporate world, it's from the decentralized digital ledger aspect of it. And that means it gives us typically four important concepts. It gives us the concept of consensus. So all the records or the transactions are written into this common ledger. Everybody will hold a copy of the ledger, but throughout peer-to-peer uh, replicating technologies. But what I write into the network, it will be ultimately, uh, into the ledger will be ultimately replicated at each participant. It gives us the consensus of consensus where I can get the chance to assign who is validating uh, transactions. It gives us the concept of, of provenance. So with blockchain into the picture, I can determine who or what the asset alongside its life cycle. So, for example, if I'm a patient, I scan a pack of medicines, and then I can see, I can get a result, and I can see that that medicine came from an authorized manufacturer, which is MSD, and how, who owned that product at what time. I have a full visibility, transparency into this ledger to understand the life cycle of a specific product. This happens in a secure manner because the blockchain ledger is immutable, meaning you cannot revert or you cannot erase the transactions. Once the transaction is there, it's written into the ledger, you can modify it, you can't revert it. In theory, right? There are blockchains where you can do that, but most of the blockchains gives you the, and this is a, an important attribute, why would you use a, a blockchain? It gives you the concept of, last but not least, the concept of finality. It means that my ledger or this decentralized record becomes my ultimate source of truth. So I know what's committed there in the ledger. It's transparent and it's the ultimate source of truth. Nobody could modify it. The transaction, it's, it's accurate. If the integrity of data is it's valid, of course. Yeah, I think these are the most important things um, folks should know, especially about blockchain, especially when we tied it and how you use it um, in enterprise. So this is actually, for a lot of us, a new technology. And this new technology have to be implemented. This is a big change, a big change management. And you have to teach the people or to make understand what is the purpose and make them engage in the process. So I would like to hear why design thinking is a good approach when you want to implement a new technology without being able to rely on an existing framework or user cases yeah so somehow i'm going to to tie it also with the vision so back to the first question what we are trying to do here with with blockchain this is kind of part of the next iteration of of healthcare so that's considered to be healthcare 4.0 where continuous innovation and the pursuit of building the first generation of a fully digital connected healthcare ecosystems are the are the end goal now Part in achieving all of this, we saw blockchain as kind of a digital highway that ultimately is able to provide to the patients with better, more value-added and more cost-effective healthcare services, while in the same time improving the industry efficiencies. So all of this, as you said, it's, it's very new and blockchain is very complex. There are so many types of blockchain, so many ways how, how you can look into it. An important aspect is education. So we have a core of kind of subject matter experts that also our goal is to educate different departments or different folks 
inside the company on potentially what blockchain is, how you can use it. But this involves, obviously, when you go throughout the big projects of digital transformation, it involves also changing the way how people work, completely changing processes. In doing so, you really need to make sure that the problems you want to solve are real problems and that you are actually solving them. So the most important aspects of design thinking is that it allows you to really dig into the problem, to identify the problem. The problems are very complex and we focus a lot on improving efficiencies with blockchain or, or solving different things based on blockchain capabilities. But in the same time, we see a lot of traction and people get hyped about blockchain, but we want to make sure that what we are solving, it's the right thing and that we are actually solving a problem. So first we focus on identifying the problem, digging a lot into specific, every market works very different. So even though we talk about the same product, if you change in every country or every market, the journey of the product is very different. So it goes throughout different distributors, the way it gets delivered to the patient, it's very different from market to market. And the way the patient access that product is also different from market to market. And most of the problems are around the product journey and the user journey and discovering these, these problems in, within a very complex setup that involves a lot of participants. It involves governments at some point. It might involve distributors. It involves wholesalers, pharmacy chains. So all the time within, whenever you talk about these big ecosystems, there are different inefficiencies in one regard or another. So we go in with design thinking and, and having common workshops where we try to identify within this complex ecosystem where are the points where the problems are. Then we kind of validate those problems and create a shared understanding the setup is very complex and we have from different organizations and from different business units and from different participants into this ecosystem because everyone has expertise in a specific area. So that's why we need a lot of functions to really make sure we really identify the problem. We validate that specific problem. Then we go on and kind of prototype and validate the solution prototype that we develop. We end up to the conclusion design thinking is the best approach. Uh, to make this happen. Feel free to click the bell to subscribe this podcast on your player. You can also follow me on LinkedIn for more information on facilitation and workshops. I know that you've been working with external facilitators, but also in-house facilitators. What is the advantage to, to have someone who is guiding? I'm on the strong opinion that It's better if it's possible. I know every organization have, have different setup and different capabilities, but if you have the opportunity, I think it's all the time better to bring in neutral facilitators that are coming from, from outside of either organi uh, one organization or, or another in terms of not directly external, but... Mm -hmm. Somebody, for example, that is not part of our my team directly or some of the other participants into the workshop team directly. And why is that? I think if you bring someone that it's a bit neutral, it removes or it can lead the workshop in a way that it's not biased. I might have 
So, for example, I am part of these this global teams that develop scales and experiments with blockchain globally at MSD. I already have the use cases. I already kind of, it's a, it's a human thing that you have some bio, some already formed biases in your mind on the use cases, what you want to do, how you want to do it, and so on. So I think by having someone that is neutral might not influence or you can avoid without you realizing if you're doing it yourself that you might influence the outcome of the workshop towards a specific direction. If you get someone that is neutral, you have very high chances to to avoid this so they can really dig more into the real design thinking i th- that's that's i think one of the the biggest advantage another advantage is also having someone that is completely neutral it really helps to not hold one side or another and they will not have any restrictions on managing better the workshop itself, meaning the timing, uh, iterating or kind of the activities and, and, and so on. So I think that's that's one of the biggest advantage of bringing someone that it's neutral. So not part of a organization that is participating into the workshop or, or team that is participating. So that can be someone from outside your company though, or someone within the company, but from a total different other business function that it's not directly involved in the workshop. So someone who is guiding the group, but without being involved in the process. Exactly. And you tell me you facilitate sometimes by yourself some of the working sessions. Why is facilitation an essential skill to have by working in big company? We are talking more and more about facilitation, about design thinking, but it's not something common everywhere. This is not only with design thing, it's with most of other frameworks that are on the hive now. So here it can be agile, design thinking, whatever it's it's new on the hive. A lot of organizations I see it and people are talking very strongly about it. But most of the times what I notice is like and it's a funny way of putting it, but it's like saying, Oh, I know how to dance flamenco, but actually What I actually do, I just dress up like dancing flamenco, but I wouldn't know to do <laughs> like a flamenco step. Yeah. Most of the times, this is how how these things go. And I think it's you, you need to have a specific uh, personality type to really be good facilitator. I think anybody can, in theory, facilitate, but in the end, it's about the output, what you get out of it, and how do you get out of it. So. In a big corporation, obviously, it would be a big plus and something nice to have. But if you're not really know to dress, you would be not up necessarily to, to the task. So big companies typically have dedicated functions. So that's, I think that's great. Other companies, they don't have that luxury, but it's a skill that you can, you can learn. Personally, I'm very happy that at MSD and going to praise Lucas for it. I think he's great at the way we have a core of experts mm -hmm. that at least at the beginning, they are helping to facilitate if you need, uh, but obviously they can't be anywhere. Part of their function is also to educate and be a center of competence that you can reach out and other groups or other folks can learn how to do it. So they are able to knowledge transfer and make sure you are following a specific framework, give you some guidance on how you can dress and dance flamenco, not just say you are. And I think it's great and it's it's highly appreciated. 
But again, that's that's a bit of, of help that if you're not focused for this, it will help you to, to speed up and get you up to date on how to do it properly. Yeah. And should maybe uh, companies educate and train their product, project, people manager to, to level up these this skills? Because at the end, we all assume that because we are doing meetings since always, yes, we just assume that the person who is inviting exactly know how it will go and how to do that. But actually, even at school or in the universities, we don't learn this skill. We don't learn to guide people. Right. So uh, talking to, to meetings and my meeting most of the times, uh, we cannot generalize it, but I think there is a common agreement that meetings are, in a lot of cases, a super waste of time is see that also in big companies, you've got this misconception if you're in the meeting, you're important and you're doing something. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Or, or you have the people who are, oh, I have a meeting, so I yeah, can't I'm work. I'm, I'm important, right? Um, and it's a way that you, you justify your time, but it's, it's, it's so bad because... Most of the time, these meetings just go on forever. Um, there is no, if you don't have someone that even knows how to facilitate a meeting, so whoever set up a meeting, that should have a facilitation to it. There should be uh, people who can divide the tasks. A meeting should have an outcome, who is doing what, at what time, uh, framework, what you are. So even a normal meeting, I think it should have, The, or the facilitation of it, you can apply the principles that you find in design thinking, for example. Yeah, yeah. So meetings can be made more meaningful, more productive, more focused, uh, shorten the time if you have someone that facilitates in a similar or applying design thinking principles. So ultimately saving a lot of time uh for people and money for the company because the time lost for 20 people in a meeting that doesn't have any meaningful output it's money lost for the for the for whole the company. company yeah um but you don't need a specific uh facilitator for for that no but the ones that who is setting the meeting like they should probably make sure they facilitate that and i think that's something that can be teach, teach uh, very fast. I think uh, the overall design thinking and how would you go into different layers of understanding a problem and then solving it, prototyping, it requires you to be a bit more specialized. So I'm talking about workshop facilitation, but when it comes to meetings, a bit of education, you would be able to facilitate great applying a bit of design thinking approach To, to the meetings. I think the facilitation skills that are needed is first, why is there a meeting? What is the purpose? And uh, at the beginning of the session to say, okay, we have this purpose and at the end we want to go there and that the person has the tools and the methods how to bring the group from A mm. to B and to have a tangible actions at the end of the meeting so these are the skills that are a little bit missing because people haven't been teached with this and some people like me are training these skills in companies 
If you'd like to join me for a podcast episode or discuss the challenges you face at work and how I can help, book a free call or send me an email. All the contact information is in the show notes. How is it? I'm just curious from, from your opinion as, a, as an expert when it comes to facilitating or conducting workshops. Now a lot of that since the pandemic kind of changed a bit uh, the way people interact. Do you see a downfall of it happening with having the workshops online versus face-to-face? Uh, -face? Yeah, I think that through all this uh, remote work, uh, which is a new way of working, um, the facilitation have become more and more uh, important because you cannot, of course, you cannot engage the people the same when uh, they are remote and when they are in person. So what we assume that we we make meetings and things, it becomes completely different since we are working remote or hybrid. I mean, as uh, as soon as someone is uh, remote, you have to be sure that this person is exactly engaged like the other one. And, um, and I think at the beginning of uh, the pandemic, when we try to start to work remotely, a, a lot of people, for example, had the camera off or they were trying to speak about the same thing, but you cannot speak in the same way when you are not seeing how the person is reacting and things. Are you using any sorts of tips and tricks to keep even if the workshops happen online? And I, as you can see, I can relate with that. You know, you see a bit of engagement. It's not obviously the same when you are face to face. But are you using any artifacts or any tricks to kind of make sure the attention is there, the engagement is still there when things are or you facilitate the workshop? Uh, yes, I, I think when you are facilitate a workshop online, you have to be sure that everyone is heard. So sequenced conversation are important, timer are important. For example, that one person is talking, the others can react and notice things, but there is really a time for everyone to give their opinion. Or we can use some whiteboards like Miro or Mural and use sticky notes so that there is a work done together on sticky notes so everyone can put their ideas and opinions by writing them and then present them sequenced so that uh, everybody is engaged. And it, there are more and more tools. I mean, we all know uh, Zoom and Teams and things like that. But there are new new platforms like Butter, for example, where you have everything integrated. Uh, you don't need to to go to the mural and then come back to the Zoom. You can do everything in one place, and I think it will be more and more the future. I fully agree with you that that's a good point to have everyone that is participating or go throughout their ideas. So if you go into the ideation phase and then have them talk throughout the idea or the post that they had and so on. But then, I mean, you have to do a trade-off also with the time of the workshop, how long it should be and so on. But regardless of that, is there a rule of thumb for a, num a number of participants? So in order to have a efficient workshop, I mean, if you have it with 50 people, 100 people, then obviously it's not going to be too efficient. Is there something that a guideline on the maximum number of participants, a minimum number of participants? What's 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 your? So for, for myself, I would not go over twenty person 
and I will of course try to uh, to make uh, to use the what is called the separate breakout rooms. Yeah, breakout rooms exactly, because it's easier to work in uh, little mm-hmm. groups. So. Yeah. I think there there are a lot of ways to do this. You know, I'm working also with companies and they don't have so much time to do workshops. So I prepare everything on the mirror board and they have the exercise. So we are working two hours uh, with each other. And then I show them w- what are the next uh, exercise and they have 10 days to go through the exercise so that they can adjust the calendar, where do I have time to put my IDs on this, when I have time to put my IDs on this, and then we meet again and they have worked on it. So this is a so-called synchronous workshop. It's interesting for you as well, because wherever you have a workshop, you kind of would need to get a bit updated with that respective technology or what's, what's the purpose. So you kind of have to broaden and broaden and broaden your, even though maybe at some point just scratching the surface, but you need to have a bare minimum understanding about what the workshop would be. And so it's it's a lot of research, I would imagine, from, from your side as well, working with the folks that want to have that workshop. But this is also very interesting because then you can uh, actually, when you have the methodology and the, and, uh, the tools, then you can run any workshop with any companies and any teams because... When you have accepted that you are the guide, there are the experts, then you can use it. I think it's a nice thing. Thank you, Alexandru. Thank you so much. And thanks for your review on on the things that I ask you. You're welcome. And have a beautiful day. And uh, I'm sure we will meet again. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. As we come to the end of this episode, I want to extend my heartfelt thanks to Alexandru Popa for sharing his valuable insights as a top manager in the corporate world about the importance of hiring facilitators and using methodologies like design thinking to drive innovation. And before we go, I want to highlight a book recommendation from my guest, The Truth Machine, The Blockchain and the Future of Everything by Michael J. Casey and Paul Vigna. These books provide a compelling look into the possibilities and limitations of blockchain's technology and its potential impact on the future. In the next episode of our podcast, I'm very excited and happy to have Rachel Davies as our guest. Rachel is a workshop experience designer and facilitator and a community character in communities such as Bata and Miro, and her work is all about integrating play, curiosity and creativity into your workshop's experiences. Together, we'll explore her work, and she'll share with us some of the tools and techniques she particularly likes, such as card decks. We'll also discuss the value and richness of communities like Bata and how they can be useful for facilitators. Thank you for tuning into this episode today. I hope you found it insightful and informative. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with our latest episodes. And until the next time, I wish you health, success and happiness. Au revoir.